afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash. I'm still broadcasting live from the third level of my underground bunker located in Coronado, California, where the men are strong, the women are good looking, and the parents are absolutely convinced their kids are way above average. Welcoming you, along with Eb Wilkinson, to another special Rainy Days edition of Inside Track. Eb is in the studio today with producer Tom. Great to be with you, Ed. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hey, before we get to our first guest, Bruce and I want to remind you to please support our great sponsors, Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus, Essential Pest Control. Bruce has them coming to his house this week to nuke some gophers and rats eating his newly planted landscape, Corazon Cabinets, and of course, Wright Flight. Also supporting Inside Track is the aforementioned Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses. You can depend upon Eb and I do, so should you. We welcome your calls today on the Wilkinson Wealth Management Live Line at 790-2040. We have another action-packed show for you today. First up is RNC Regional Director of Communications, Keith Skipper. We'll discuss the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago and that pesky 0% inflation as defined by President Brandon earlier this week. In the second half of the show, on the eve of the one-year anniversary of our country's disgraceful evacuation of Kabul, Marine Corps officer Thomas Schumann, his newly released book, Always Faithful, is the story of the Afghan war, the fall of Kabul, and his fight for the life of his Afghan interpreter, Zanula Zak Zaki. Let's get right to it. Our guest for the next several minutes, I hope, is Keith Skipper uh, from the RNC War Room, working overtime to help our Republican nominees in the fall midterms. Welcome to Inside Track, Keith. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. Hey, before I turn you over to my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, I need to ask you something. Could there be anyone who had a greater motive for attacking the former president of the United States at his own home, the man who was denied the seat on the U.S. Supreme Court than Merrick Garland or another motive uh, from the sitting president, Joe Biden, who ran against Donald Trump in 2020, uh, and says he plans to run in 24. I mean, it sure does not look good for either of them. Uh, you know, it, let's be clear. If if President Trump, if this had happened with President Trump, uh, Nancy Pelosi would be, you know, working over this weekend trying to impeach him for a third time. Um, but because, you know, it's, it's Joe Biden and because it's Merrick Garland who has a clear con- uh, conflict of interest, uh, it's just being kind of that part of it is just being very swept under the rug uh and instead uh you know we're not getting answers for things you know they tried to they released a warrant uh yesterday but we still don't even have you know the reasoning behind this we really didn't get a lot of information from what they were looking for by reading the warrant uh and the whole thing just stinks there's no transparency uh for this you know unprecedented uh raid of the former president Uh, And, um, you know, the American people deserve answers. Uh, And right now, uh, you know, Merrick Garland and and Joe Biden are not proving themselves as even trustworthy once uh, answers start coming forth. So, uh, you know, this is a very, very troubling time, I would say, in this country. I'm going to turn you over to my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, who has a couple more questions for you. Eb? 
Hey, Keith, uh, thanks for joining us. The president, I'm sorry, Joe Biden, puffed his chest and reported earlier this week that inflation in July was 0%. He even amplified this report more than once as if he was the oracle of inflation and knew that it was zero. But anyone who goes into the supermarket today or goes to the gas station knows that that's not so. Is he delusional or is he purposely trying to gaslight Americans? That's a hundred. The latter is a hundred percent the case. He is trying to gaslight Americans. I mean, he sees what we see, uh, and he hears what we hear. Uh, he is becoming quickly one of the most unpopular presidents in modern American history, uh, and you know he's trying to do, he's trying to do whatever he can to change the narrative, change everything uh, going around. Especially as you know, uh, it was interesting that he said it in between both the Senate and the House votes on this massive tax increase. Uh, bill that we know is not going to do anything to lower inflation. Uh, he's, you know, came out in between those votes and said, inflation is zero when we all still can see that we are paying nearly 10% more for items uh, than we were uh, a year ago, you know, that we're still paying the highest level of inflation in 40 years. Um, and that and so doesn't the, count food or gas. Exactly. And, you know, uh, you know, people are making less money today than they were under President Trump because of this out-of-control inflation. And so the president's just taken to, he's realized, you know, this is this is going to, you know, doom my presidency. And so he's just taken to lying to the American people and, and trying to de- hope, you know, he's, he's relying on hope that he can deceive uh, the American people into believing that uh, they actually aren't paying higher prices, which is just asinine. How do his constituents, his Democratic constituents, how do you think they feel when they hear this and then they go to the grocery store and try and feed the kids? I mean, if I were them, I would be I would just be dumbfounded. Um, But, you know, his he has, you know, the the Democrat base. um, I can't imagine them ever admitting that, you know, that 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 their party uh, had has created the mess that it's created. Um, but, you know, the independent voters that are going to decide elections in November, uh, those kind of swing, you know, moderate Republican, moderate Democrat voters that are going to des- uh, decide elections in November, uh, they see it. Uh, and now they see what's coming, too, which is a massive tax increase uh, that was just passed yesterday out of the House, um, something that over 230 uh, economists wrote to Congress saying that they believed that the bill would increase inflation. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be a tax burden on, on Americans making as little as $20,000 per year in addition to hiring 87,000 more IRS agents to make sure that those people are paying those taxes. Put that in, spec- in perspective, Arizona Stadium where the Wildcats play, that's 50,000. Uh, at the 50,000 capacity uh, stadium. You can fill almost two of them with the IRS agents that are being hired. Uh, and people are going to be, you know, if, the, if Democrats think that they can just deceive us on that inflation it doesn't exist while also passing a huge tax increase uh, and think that they're going to come out with majorities uh, in November, uh, they're going to be sadly mistaken. Well, you know, all that is true. And one of the very first things Joe did when he took uh, the White House was to undo almost everything that Trump did to keep gas prices low. Uh, you know, 
they were never above $3 a gallon during his watch at all. And the last price I paid under his watch, I think, was like $1.85, $1.87. And you've got Biden and his green crew and AOC, who's uh, the correct pronunciation of her name is Auk, is still focused on climate change. Uh, you know, you've got a, a 83-year-old retiree, Carol Jemison, saying gas prices today are so high, she can't even visit her kids and her grandchildren. And 64% of Americans say they have had to fundamentally change their lifestyle. This isn't the American way, is it? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, and, and this bill that they just passed is going to raise gas prices again. Um, there, is a, there is a tax on the bar- on barrels of oil that we bring in from overseas, which we now have to rely on because, uh, like you said, day one, this president made it clear that domestic production of oil was going to come to a, a screeching halt. Uh, and so people are uh, making sacrifices because of it. I mean, it, it's it's really, really telling when the Biden administration is taking a huge victory lap because the national average of gas dropped below $4 a gallon, a price in which it never has never been that high under any other president. Barack Obama did not have even $4 a gallon gas or even almost $4 a gallon gas. But this White House is just so excited that the mess they created uh, – is just a little tiny less messy that they're taking victory laps and acting like this is a huge accomplishment when it's we all know like you said we never paid anywhere near this uh when president trump was in office uh and so if democrats want to keep uh going to you know having their war on american energy and having their war on american oil also that they can you know pad the coffers of some of their biggest donors to their campaigns and their campaign committees. Um, That's that's their decision. Uh, But uh, the American voter is going to have a decision based on their on what they've done. Uh, And they're going to make it loud and clear that uh, they have completely failed American families. I mean, when it costs so much and you have to decide, like, do I really can I really take my kid to soccer practice today, which you know, there are stories out there of, of especially our, our less fortunate families who probably live more paycheck to paycheck. They're having to make those kind of sacrifices. That's just inexcusable uh, and just shows exactly where Democrats land, uh, land on this. And that's with the their big donors and, and not, uh, you know, Arizona families. Yeah. Before we go to Bruce, Jeez. one more thing. Sorry, Bruce, for interrupting you here. It's uh, one thing that is not being reported is that BlackRock... Vanguard and State Street have put some of their uh, Green New Deal cronies on the boards of directors of places like ExxonMobil and are deliberately interfering with them pumping more oil. People don't know that, and they need to know that. Yeah, they do. And, and that's why, you know, uh, we got we got to just keep doing uh, shows like this and shows, you know, we got to keep putting this in the news and keep and keep getting that message out there. Bruce. Keith Skipper, I'm guessing because you know the approximate uh, uh, seating capacity at Arizona Stadium that you probably aren't affiliated with that school up north that used to be a teacher's college. <laughs> I am not. I actually went to the University of Washington, different Pac-12 school, but uh, I grew up in Phoenix, and uh, that was the heyday of Lute Olson and the basketball team down south. So uh, I am a big Wildcat fan myself. <laughs> Go Cats. Uh, Keith, in our remaining moments together, let's get back to the politically motivated raid this week uh, in Mar-a-Lago. Bill Clinton took plenty of loot out of the White House. 
Hillary Clinton illegally kept her own server when she was Secretary of State. She bit bleached and destroyed her equipment so uh, that she had stored in a bathroom. Barack Obama took over, and this is little known, um, over 3 million pages of documents out of the White House promising to digitize them for his presidential library, but it's never made one page public. Now published reports claim Mr. Trump may have been involved in nuclear espionage. Democrats have made dozens of charges against him uh, since even before he took office and impeached him twice. Don't you think Donald Trump poses not a security threat to America, but an election threat to Democrats? A hundred percent. And I'm not going to, I am not going to believe these nuclear things until we get hard proof because everything that we're seeing on that front are, are anonymous sources, which is uh, what we've seen time and time again. And it's, uh, you know, just like we've seen time and time again, that uh, that government has been weaponized against the press, former president. I mean, the Clinton campaign fed a phony Steele dossier to the FBI during 2016, that campaign, which led to FISA warrants and the Justice Department right. spying on the Trump campaign. Uh, you know, we spent millions of dollars on the Mueller report that ended up showing there was no collusion and no obstruction of justice. Of course, everyone remembers the first impeachment, uh, which was a hyper-partisan political impeachment uh, even though there was evidence, there was no evidence that showed he did anything wrong. Uh, this is what the the United States government has been doing against this man uh, his entire time in politics, and it's frankly frightening. I mean, the FBI finds time to raid the home of the former president, but not Hunter Biden, not Hillary Clinton, not even the far left radicals who are you know firebombing churches and pro life organizations these days. They raided instead a pre- a former president of the United States and at his home. I mean, it's just unconscionable. Uh, and it is, again, telling that it happens within 100 days, less than 100 days until the next election. I mean, if these if these documents are in there and they are that important, and they pose that big of a national security risk. Why wasn't this done months ago? Uh, why are they just doing it now as we get closer to an election that certainly looks like it's going to be a very good election for Republicans? Uh, it all just stinks. <laughs> And that's why there needs to be more transparency in what's going on. Yep. Yeah, and Keith, why, may I ask, is there a demonstrable double oh. standard between the leniency and lack of oversight of a Democrat wrongdoing? I mean, in a report yesterday, former CIA Chief Mike Hayden, speaking about the Mar-a-Lago raid, said that he agreed with a Twitter suggestion that the leakers should be subject to execution. Don't you think, considering his own National Intelligence Service record, perhaps he ought not to be calling the kettle black? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, unfortunately, that's just we are we are finding ourselves more and more uh, down a path where we can't trust these kinds of folks, uh, and it's scary. And um, and like you said, exactly. Like you know that. It, should we really be trusting folks who uh, are, are are engaging in hypocrisy? Uh, it, it's terrifying. Yeah. Hey, Keith, thanks for joining us today. Uh, sadly, we're up against the clock. How can our listeners receive research and RNC War Room updates? Uh, go to GOP.com. You can sign up for some stuff there. Uh, sign up for emails there. Uh, and I would also get engaged um, with your – with. Um, uh, the local cam- uh, campaign down there. You know, we we partner up with the state party. Uh, we call it Arizona Victory, 
And we, of course, disseminate a lot of information that way. Uh, and so um, I believe you can just go to AZG, the Arizona uh, Republican Party's website and sign up as a volunteer. And one of our, our staff members will be in contact and we'll get you involved. Uh, and we also, of course, like I said, share a lot of our, our war room and our, our information that way, too. So uh, we have a big election ahead of us and we got to get to work. We got just 80, a little over 80 days uh, to put, you know, Blake Masters and Carrie Lake and Wansis Kamani and all our candidates over the top and, uh, we cannot afford to waste any more time. So come and help us get that done. Great. Keith Skipper, thanks for joining us. It's time for our first break. When we return, Bruce and I have news uh, for you after the bottom of the hour break. Retired Marine Corps Major Thomas Schumann joins us to talk about his brand new book, Always Faithful. You're listening to Inside Track. Bruce and I will return after a few messages from our show sponsors. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is, A, we sell scrap to the mill, so uh, we have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back, and so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Instead of an activity where every kid gets a trophy, those who graduate from Wright Flight get to fly a plane. But only if they get good grades, are well-behaved, and pass a written test. I'm Robin Stoddard, an ex-fighter pilot. I founded Wright Flight because I knew it could help kids reach new heights in their schools, homes, and communities. Endorsed by educators at every level, nonprofit Wright Flight has changed thousands of lives since 1986. Learn more at rightflight.org. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? (sighs) No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. It's been a while since Ab and I have uh, prepared a rundown for you. It's been a very busy week, so here we go. This week, former President Trump's home, as we know, in Florida was ransacked by the FBI. There have been leaks galore by the regime implicating somehow that the president, who more than any other chief executive in recent memory, 
uh, did to protect America and keep her as his number one priority was involved in smuggling atomic secrets from the White House. And uh, his house um, was uh, was ransacked. They even went into Melania Trump's wardrobe, uh, wardrobe closet and had it searched. Yesterday, Salman Rushdie uh, was attacked in Chautauqua, New York. Uh, he's on a ventilator after an attack on him while giving a speech there. Tehran is rejoicing. If he lives, he may lose an eye. Also this week, an arrest made in the attempt by Iran agents to assassinate former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton. How dare anyone oppose Islam? America is bracing for retaliatory attacks on government offices, uh, excuse me, government officials and office buildings by Iran due to our current feckless leadership. American universities, once fanatic controlling of students with COVID lockdowns and mask mandates, now observing on uh, monkeypox. Look for the same at U Arizona. U.S. Department of State advises our consulate employees in Tijuana be prepared to shelter in place due to mounting narco wars there. More evidence of the lawlessness of the cartels and their control of the border and not the federal government, Eb. And Wall Street started the dog days of August the same way as July with healthy gains. Is this a legitimate stock rebound or a dead cat bounce? Time will tell. Well, here's what I think. Basically, Wall Street doesn't care what's happening with Brandon or his administration. It's always forward-looking. So if it's forward-looking, what does that say about his future in the White House? Not so good. Nah, not so good. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is not so worried about her re-election to Congress and refuses to talk about the challenges to her House speakership challenges. Uh, I doubt Nancy wants to be minority leader, don't you think? I think. And AP reports, respected snake expert William H. Marty Martin dies after getting bit by a rattlesnake. Watch out for snakes, especially in D.C. Personality Ann Hesch dead after hitting a house at 90 miles an hour, drunk driving or suicide. Meanwhile, a Vietnam vet who supported President Trump tried to attack the Cincinnati FBI office. He may have been mentally unbalanced, but this is not the way for conservatives to win the battle against leftist abuses of power. And in California, San Bernardino voters will decide whether this two millionth person county will secede from the state this November. Gavin Newsom may have defeated an attempt to oust him, but outside outlying counties still are angry about how he governs. They complain they pay taxes, but do not see results in the Republican county. Sounds familiar? Eb, the Democrat-run U.S. House passed the falsely named Climate and Inflation Reduction Bill. I have a question for you. As we commented earlier, Democrats want 87,000 new agents, which is about one-half the size of the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, What do you think would be better, another 87,000 Marines or another 87,000 IRS agents? Well, basically, bring in the Marines. And the (laughs) the thing that concerns me, Bruce... This is more than the size of the Secret Service and the Customs and Border Patrol, and I believe the FBI all combined. And they're saying in their ads, must be willing to carry guns and kill people. What the hell? Ruski reports of recent battlefield successes tempered this week as Ukraine attacks a captured airfield in Ukraine despite Russian claims 
the explosions were from an ammo dump. The photos are pretty conclusive. They got hit by Ukrainian attackers. Many bridges, rail lines, and a power plant also been hit by Ukraine this week. Also in reports from Ukraine, clergy there say Russian occupiers are targeting them with threats and violence if priests do not collaborate with them. Typical brute Russian tactics. One has to wonder how they will possibly govern if they can hold on in eastern Ukraine or elsewhere in that country due to their brutality. Eb? Insiders, this may not be all the news of the week, but it is the news you need to know. Mr. Producer, let's take our next break. We'll be right back with Marine Corps Major Thomas Schumann to talk about the war he fought in Afghanistan, the chaotic and ill-conceived evacuation from Kabul, and his battle to save his interpreter, Zach, and his concern for the thousands left behind by Joe Biden. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Our very special guest for the balance of the show, U.S. Marine Corps Major Tom Schumann. His new book, Always Faithful, just hit the bookstores and online retailers, and we are so happy his publicist at HarperCollins allowed us to be amongst the first to speak with him. Major Tom Schumann served in Afghanistan for 19 months, including the single bloodiest deployment of the Afghan war as platoon squad leader with the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines at the Helmand Province. Schumann was awarded the Purple Heart after he and others were ambushed on a field in November 9th, 2010. Schumann went on to get his master's in English literature from Georgetown University and currently teaches English lit at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, where he remains on active duty. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And speaking for myself and Bruce Ash, please accept our most sincere gratitude for your service to our country and to your fellow men, because 
that regard for others is part of the story you weave into Always Faithful, isn't it? It is. It's about a uh, call to duty, a call to service, and the bonds and the friendships that form thereafter. So tell us, how were you transformed from over-eager Marine to a battle-hardened combat vet who witnessed death of your fellow Marines? Yeah, uh, it was a baptism under fire, but it's uh, what we're called to do. And, and so as an infantry platoon commander, uh, I led troops in combat. It's, it's, I spent a year and a half training for it. And I'll tell you that the the, top, the Marine Corps' infantry training is top-notch. Uh, ultimately, there are moments that occur in combat that no amount of training can prepare you for, but you're prepared for most of it. And it's transformative. It's the best days of your life. It's the worst days of your life. But ultimately, through that adversity, uh, there's a lot of growth as well, and it, and it refines your values and, and helps you mature. And so uh, while I did have many uh, tough days there, ultimately, I'm grateful for that experience overall. Well, now, Tom, I am a graduate of the basic school, Echo 81. And okay. I got to tell you, I truly believe that is one of the best overall training out there did you get that same feeling yeah i mean undoubtedly you leave the basic school as uh, the ability to lead a basic rifle platoon you you you, you can lead troops in a fight and that, that's the marine corps motto is to be able to have everybody a rifleman and, and you come out of those six months ready to to lead uh marines and marines are not an easy breed to lead they're 18 year old and they're fired up and they're tough uh but i think that school equips you and it provides the tools to do that and then you know i subsequently went to what's called uh the infantry officers course and, and that's three more months of that training so yeah i i think the pipeline and the training are are great uh and, and ultimately there's nothing in combat that i saw that i hadn't thought about or, or experienced in training but then there are these like unique moments that you could you could train for ten years in a million different scenarios. And there's just some things that are going to arise that that you can never prepare for. So the platoon you led with Third Battalion, Fifth Marines in Helmet Province saw an extraordinary amount of battle and killed many of the Taliban fighters. Tell us how you first came to serve with Zach in Afghanistan and that close personal bond you both developed. Sure, I'm glad that you highlighted that we we were also killing the Taliban. Sometimes the, the focus only gets on that, you know, we were taking losses. It's, yes, we were surely taking losses, but certainly we were dishing them out too. Um, Zach and I, uh, I, I had had a couple interpreters in my first few weeks and they kept quitting because the threat was too high. There were too many IDs, too many firefights, and most interpreters I'd worked with said no thanks. And then uh, Zach came in, he's 19 years old, looked strong, looked healthy, his he, he spoke the local dialect of Pashtu really well. He spoke English well, which is not something that's guaranteed when you get an interpreter. Uh, and, and so initially, he, it was a very kind of transactional relationship where he would translate what I was saying, and he was proficient and competent, and so that helped build a professional relationship. Uh, but then it quickly became apparent that Zach was there to do so much more than just translate whether that was actually help me read the environment culturally and, and help me get some of those uh, cultural insights and nuances. But when he, when, when a Marine was wounded and he picked up a rifle and held security, or when he knew the Taliban, he was listening to the Taliban over the radio and, and could hear that they were coordinating an ambush and he sprinted through a minefield and tackled 
the guy he knew was coordinating that. I mean, there, there were things that were just exceptional above and beyond duty in it. And it led from him kind of working for my platoon to being one of the uh, members of my platoon. How old was he when he started working with you? About 20, I think. Wow. And where did he learn his English? Yeah, I, I, once the U.S. came to his province, uh, which was in 2001, in Kunar province, they before that he could, they only studied in madrasas, so they're only like in, you know like extreme Taliban mullahs teaching extremist kind of Taliban version of Islam. And then when the when the U.S. came into his province in 2001, he saw that they were trying to build schools and they were trying to help build hospitals and and. And he said, like, this is these other people that we're going to need to partner with. And so in 2001, they started to teach English at some of the schools in his province. And uh, he started to take English then. And so by the time he got to me in 2010, he had you know, several years of English training and, and he was pretty good. So he's one of nine children of a substance of uh, of a substance farmer in eastern Afghanistan. And. Uh, he, so he would be what eleven years old when uh, Al Qaeda attacked America in two thousand one. Yep, that's correct. What were his experiences going from a child of war to soldier fighting alongside you guys? Yeah, he's he's always, you know, there's always been violence on his periphery, if not, you know, actually uh, directly involved. And in his province, you know, he, he remembers coming home from school and and his father listening to the a handheld radio that had the BBC, and that's kind of how he, he became aware of that. And, and for him, he would say that some of the, there were Taliban in his province, and they were celebrating, you know, 9-11. But, but for uh, his family, they just said, like, this is a shared humanity, and this is horrible for anybody to have. You know, they saw that they, the, they didn't have a TV, but in the uh, little district center, there were some TVs, and they saw the images of people jumping out of the towers and running in the streets. And he said, "You know, how could you celebrate this? This is this is terrible for anybody." And so, yeah, he he it was it was it was under Taliban rule throughout his, his first eleven years, and then uh, he was definitely you know the, there were special forces army units operating within his province in his village. Uh, you know, as a child, he saw soldiers. And he would carry up for the uh, Army SF guys, and he ended up working four years uh, for the Marines and the Army directly as a translator and contractor. So, he, And that's why it was important to have his voice in the story rather than just, I spent about 18 months, 19 months in Afghanistan rather than someone who's just been there uh, that got to come home. Uh, this is someone who was born there, raised there, lived there. I think it's a, it's a much more educational experience when you hear his voice uh, in the book. Are the interpreters paid while they're working for you? Yeah, they they get compensated, I think, pretty well in terms of uh, like what the Afghan standard was. But like I said, it was it was not enough to keep many of them in the job. Most of them, when they got to where I was, uh, because of how dangerous it was, uh, quit. They they would they would often quit actually before they got on the helicopter to come out to where I was, and they found out where the helicopter was heading. They they'd stop right there and. Then, most of them within the 24 hours that uh, I don't care how much pain I'm going to, what, what does it matter if you're, what you're paying me if I'm going to be dead? And so that was the environment or the reality of, of staying in district home province at that time in 2010. So Zach and his family were exposed to a maximum amount of risk of death, even way before our withdrawal in 2021, going back to 2016, weren't they? 
Yeah, I, I mean that when we were, when he was on patrol with me, again we we would listen to the Taliban's radio, uh, and they said, you know, we know you could hear us, Zanula Zaki, we're going to kill you. We know you're in Kunar province. I mean, his persecution really started in 2010, and then escalated to the point in 2016, he could no longer leave his home. He was getting so many uh, death death threats. Uh, they were calling him. They had his number. They were leaving death threats at his father's house saying, you know, like very graphically, we're going to find you and cut your head off. And and these weren't empty threats. These were threats that the Taliban carried out routinely. And so Zach didn't join with the Marines because he wanted to come to America. Zach joined with the Marines because he wanted a better, freer Afghanistan. He, he, he viewed partnering with the U.S. as the best opportunity for Afghanistan to have a freer future. And so it was, it was for him to have to make that decision to start the visa process to come to the U.S. was devastating to him because he never he, he had always hoped and dreamed of being able to stay in his country that he loved. And so but the amount of persecution he was facing was relentless. And after, you know, almost a decade straight of being persecuted or several years of straight persecution, he said, I, this is no way to live. I can't raise my family. I can't go to work. I can't do anything without being threatened to kill be killed. Bruce. Thanks for joining us today, Major. Um, Eb and I are both honored to have you join us today on Inside Track. So thanks for taking time out for us. Um, you you wrote in, in your book, um, Always Faithful, that you were, quote, an unlikely candidate, unquote, to become a U.S. Marine. Tell our listeners why that was so. Yeah, I, I, it kind of fits in with the reluctant hero's journey that you find in Joseph Campbell and, and kind of everything everywhere else. But it, it, I, I just I didn't grow up, uh, you know, watching G.I. Joe. I didn't grow up uh, playing, you know, whatever. I, I I didn't have like a long, you know, I just finished teaching at the Naval Academy where every midshipman has this long family history of, of officers and the Navy and the Marine Corps. And that just wasn't me. Um, you know, my mom... Uh, had always warned against or advised against me joining the military, and and, and, and I wanted to study law. And uh, but it wasn't when nine eleven happened. It was just simply, it was hey, uh, the end of the the end of the age of innocence or ignorance, whatever you want to call it, had, had ended for me. And I said, okay, there's bad people in the world, and uh, somebody's got to do something about that because. It, if no one if no one does anything, you won't be able to enjoy these liberties and freedoms. And so, you, you don't ask somebody else to do something. You're able-bodied. You'd go. You go do it. And so that was kind of my uh, moment there, sitting in my classroom and on uh, September 11, 2001. Oh, so you, so you were one of those. You were one of those individuals, like so many, who, based upon the events of uh, 9/11, decided to serve. Is that? Have I got that right? Correct. I had no inclination or desire to serve prior to that day. And at the end of that day, I knew I would serve. I didn't know how. I couldn't even probably tell you all the branches of services on that day. I just knew that I would do something about it. And that was the, just the very nascent phase of my, my journey towards service. Yeah, you know, um, Eb uh, asked you a few minutes ago about your time in Helmut Province. And it reminded me of a conversation that I had with my father-in-law, who uh, 
distinguished himself as a hero in the Second World War in um, uh, north uh, west France, coming from Brest, when his um, uh, motor armor um, uh, group was attacked by uh, a mortar attack by by uh, Fremont uh, soldiers, and. Um, I, I asked him at that time, I was w with uh, our two sons who had never heard these stories before because he, he kept his mouth shut for decades. And um, I asked him what his motivation was when he fought. And he only lasted about 47 days on the battlefield before he was uh, uh, invalided out and, and you know eventually uh, discharged from the army late, later on. Uh, but he said, Bruce, um, I, I wasn't fighting for altruism. I wasn't fighting for you because I was a patriot. I wasn't even fighting because we're Jewish. He says I wasn't even fighting because I knew Jews had been persecuted and probably killed by the Nazis. He said, "Me and my me and my comrades were just fighting to live day to day." Is that what you found yourself on the ground in Afghanistan when you served there? Yeah, there's, there's a great quote in a in a book called Gates of Fire written by. He was a Marine, and, and he said, you know, forget everything that you fight for here today. Forget God, country, or any other noble cause that, you, you know, got you here today. You fight for this and this alone. Uh, for the person to your left and right, for he is everything, and everything is contained within him. And so, and, and you know, E.B. Sledge and with the old breed has a similar kind of sentiment. I, and I think every soldier or, or Marine who's really been in the trenches and really been looking down, a, you know, that, the barrel of a gun and had their bayonet six. I think uh, all the politics and all the higher ideals and notions fight a, you know uh, fade away. You really you're, you're fighting you're fighting to, to no kidding, like like you said, stay alive and you're and you're fighting for that guy to your left and your right. And anything you think you might have joined up for, or any kind of notions of grandeur, I think uh, dissipate pretty quick with the ugliness of of what happens out there. So uh, I think that that's pretty that rings true to me as well. Tom, this is a, a, a message to our listeners. I want to read one review about Major Schumann's new book, Always Faithful. It was from Lieutenant General Lori Reynolds. She wrote, A tremendous look inside the relationships forged in combat and the dedication and sacrifice of the Afghans and Marines who served side by side to gain a better future for Afghanistan. The book is honest, compelling, and full of suspense. The book is honor, courage, and commitment at its finest. Those are, I think, amazing words in support of the book that you've uh, just uh, had released, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think the book is honest. You'll, you'll find that it's messy. Parts of the book are messy, and, and I took some risks, and I was vulnerable in some places, and so was Zach. And, but we, we didn't want to present... It's, you know, the memoir starts when I'm in South Side Chicago with a single mom with a Chicago cop raising me and, and Zach, you know, family is a substance and farmer. It's, and so we could have packaged it nice and neat until we get to the combat part and kind of have some exciting combat parts. And then the, the end of the book is, it's, I mean, the end of the book is just captivating because it's Zach's escape out of Kabul. And so we could have just relied on, on, on that, but we wanted to be authentic so that the readers can kind of really connect and resonate with the stories and, and maybe see some of their own struggles reflected in ours. And so it is, I think it is an honest book. And then, you know, honor, courage, commitment, these, these are all kind of uh, the Marine Corps ethos here. And, and so the book takes from the Marine Corps ethos of Semper Fidelis and, and, and the idea of being always faithful. I, I just think that 
the emphasis needs to be on the always or the emphasis needs to be on the semper because in life it's, it's easy to be faithful most of the time. It's easy to be faithful uh, even like 99% of the time. It's that 1% of the time when all odds are against you that you've got to maintain that separate part or the always part. And, and so uh, we've got to keep our promises. It's got to be more than a bumper sticker. It's got to be more than just a, a motto we say. It's got to be a way that we live. And, and, and for it to truly be a testament to our core values, then you've got to do it in the worst of those circumstances and still be always faithful. And so I think that's what you see in this book. It's two people who, in the, in the hardest times, we're going, to be, we're going to keep their promises and we're going to be faithful uh, no matter what. Tom, before we, we take a call from uh, Charles, a personal review from somebody who pr- purchased and read the book, just a regular uh, you know person. Uh, th- that person said, this is the first time I've read a book cover to cover in one day in nearly 15 years, and I read a lot. It was so gripping, moving, and intelligent, both intellectually and emotionally. I simply could not put the book down or walk away. So with that, Charles Heller has a call for you. Charles, go ahead. Thanks. Along the lines of the Semper, or Semper and Semper Fidelis, I'd like to ask a question that's a little outside of your book, but still within, I think, the scope of what you're talking about, and that's this. Recently, the uh, <clears throat> Jar Jar Biden has uh, got a bill headed towards, towards his desk about uh, uh, having 87,000 new IRS agents. What might happen if instead of having IRS agents, they used Marines to enforce the tax code. What do you think would be the result on A, collections, and B, the way the public is treated? Yeah, I'm, I'm still active duty, so I can't uh, speculate on some of those kind of things. But, but what I can tell you is that, you know, the Marines have a reputation as, no, the Marines have a reputation as no better friend, no worse enemy. And so, you know, and, but we're sworn to, to, to protect, we're sworn to defend the Constitution. So, We'll always be uh, faithful to, to the Constitution, and, and we'll keep uh, we'll keep us in that spirit of no better friend, no worse enemy. But uh, I think beyond thank, that, I, thank I, you. Yeah, thanks for your answer on that, Tom and Charles. Thank you for your question. Um, I, I want to uh, direct you, Tom, if I can, to those final chaotic days in Kabul for American forces and for Zach and the countless others who are qualified to come to America give us and it can only be just a snapshot but you know everybody watched this on tv but you know there was only so much you could see what was it really like there yeah i I mean i think that's that's maybe one of the more unique aspects of that this book is is you're gonna you're gonna be on the ground with with somebody who attempted to escape three times and the first two attempts of zach's escape uh, the, the first day was August 15th when we sent him to the airport. And that's the day that the security perimeter collapsed. And that's the day that everybody ran onto the tarmac and were jumping off the planes. And, and that's, I sent Zach to the airport at that time because Kabul had just fallen. And I had a Marine friend who was at the gate and he said, go ahead and send him. I'll get him. And then right as Zach walked almost four miles with his four small children, his wife and their four bags, any parent can try to imagine that walking that distance and in, in the middle of the collapse of a government Zach made that trip and then got to the airport right when it got overwhelmed and overran and the Taliban 
was working with the Marines started to, and the U.S. forces started to shoot into the crowd to regain control of the airport perimeter. And his children saw someone mowed down with a machine gun just feet from them. And, 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 and that was our first attempt. And then, you know, our second attempt, it's equally as tragic that they got there right as uh, they're closing all the gates again because the perimeter started to be breached again. And Zach's sending me pictures of uh, you know, he's, he's uh, just an arm's distance from the Marines and he can't get in the gate. And, and he's sending me a video. What should I do? What should I do? And, and as he's and his daughter sitting on his lap and then they start shooting machine guns over their heads to get control over the, the gate again. And his daughter screaming and crying. And I'm a, I'm a dad and I had a three-year-old daughter and the same age. And it's just, uh, it's, it, it is. And, and that's why, you know, when I started this Zach's rescue efforts last year, I put his face out there because what everybody else saw is just a mass of people. And they said, Oh, that's sad. That's tragic. And then when we put Zach's face out there, we took some risks, but we also wanted to say like, it's not just a sea of people. Like these are, these are real people who have literally risked their lives for the U S and we owe them because they, we, they're part of a visa program that we signed a contract with them. Like we owe them to get them out. And, uh, it was absolutely harrowing. Uh, but, but thankfully, you know, those Marines, uh, those 18-year-old Marines held the line there, and, and they held the line uh, all the way to the end. And, and there was 18- and 19-year-old Marines from 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines, really uh, did everything they could amidst the strategic failure. At the tactical level, they did everything they could to continue to, to be always faithful and, and to continue to, to keep our promises. And, and, and 13 of them lost their lives doing it. And, uh, and so there, there's, there's some, you know, stories of, of heroism and courage, uh, but, but mostly just harrowing uh, was what it was like there. So, uh, Tom, this is uh, Eb. How did Zach end up getting out? Yeah, uh, on the third attempt, a, a friend of mine who I'd gone to basic school with was a, a Marine pilot who had done an inter-service transfer to the Air Force, and so we had three different strategies that day. After the two failed strategies, Zach's wife said, why are you taking me to the airport to get killed and our children to get killed? Why don't we just get killed in our home? At least we'll be more comfortable. You know, she didn't want to go anymore. And, and so Zach was like, Hey, like we got to make sure that we get out. We can't do this again. And, uh, and so we came up with three different strategies and we, we knew one of the gates you could do a password. And, and so that's the gate I was trying to get him to is the gate that there was a password at that someone had told me that was, was working. And, uh, when he tried to get to that gate that day, the Taliban checkpoint between him and that gate, he couldn't, he couldn't get there. And so he just said, look, you need to send someone to get me. And I was like, Zach, I can't just send somebody out. Like, it's like, I can't move. The crowds are crushing us. You have to send someone out to get me. And so I, I sent a message to my buddy, uh, who's an Air Force pilot flying for the PJs at the time now. And I said, hey, uh, Jared, I need you to go get my guy, Zach. And he's like, I'm in the operations center. I'm not allowed to leave. I said, uh, you got to go get him. And he said, okay. And so uh, with some other fellow PJs, they jump up on the gate, and, and I had sent them a picture of what Zach and his family were wearing, and he said, Zach, put your son with a blue shirt on your shoulders. And then Zach's phone wasn't working. And then he said, Zach, put your son with a blue shirt on your shoulders. And then nothing for the next hour and a half. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to disrupt them. And, and so – an hour and a half later, a uh, message came through that says, we got them, and a picture of them inside the airport. And so, yeah, it, it, the system never delivered. It came down to a, a personal friend of mine who was flying helicopters out there at the time, went 
grab the family. Wow. Uh, sadly, we've got a minute and 40 seconds left. Bruce? Uh, Tom, just real quick, because uh, our time is short, tell us quickly what kind of, uh, where is Zach in the process of getting his, his uh, citizenship at this time? Yeah, unfortunately, he hasn't progressed beyond when he was in Kunar Kabul. Uh, his, his last, so this program, this SID program, was said if you serve with the U.S. for 12 months, we'll give you a visa and a path to citizenship. And so Zach did that, and then we just, and, and so uh, his last application was denied as of March 2021. There's currently an appeal and in his final appeal for this visa, and if he doesn't get this final appeal, uh, he's facing deportation. Oh, God. Major Tom Schumann, his book, Always Faithful, all about his personal history in Afghanistan, a remarkable relationship with an Afghan hero, Zanula Zak Zaki, and the story about the fall of Kabul. It's just out. You can find it in bookstores and online everywhere. Get his book. We've only scratched the surface so you can find out more for yourself. And thanks for joining us today, Major. Uh, insiders, Evan, I hope you enjoyed the show today with RNC War Room spokesman Keith Skipper and Marine Major Tom Schumann. Be sure to join us again next week for more great guests. Until next week, for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash and, and Eb Wilkinson saying Semper Fi and wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com.